This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. To all the listeners and especially to our friends in Sandringham Gardens, in our parents' home, it was lovely to meet some of you this week, to see some of you out and about. And I think that our conversation today really applies to everyone and perhaps especially to those who might feel that they're found in a confined space. And it really is a very, very thought-provoking parsha. The days, as we know, are short. We're going to be lighting our candles at 5.05. But it's the shortest week, which means next week things will begin to stretch out a little bit, which is always a warm and wonderful thought. Shabbos ends at 5.57 tomorrow night. But next week, we're ready lighting our candles at 5.07, and Shabbos will end at 5.59. Next week, next Shabbos is a very special Shabbos. It is indeed the Yorzeit of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the third of Tammuz, and the parshas that we read at this time of the year indeed connect us very much to the Rebbe and his message. The parsha this week is called Shlach. What's the story of the parsha Shlach? Well, we know it. It's a story of an episode where Moshe is sending spies or scouts to gather information about the land of Canaan because the Jewish nation is about to enter the promised land. They are about to enter the land of Canaan with a mandate to turn the land of Canaan into the land of Israel. And Moshe chooses princes, qualified people, spiritually refined, holy people, people whose hearts and minds are devoted to the Torah that was received the year before at Sinai, people who are surrounded by and live a supernatural life. There's manna every day that they get from heaven. There's water from the well of Miriam that travels with them. The clouds miraculously take care of their clothing. They repair their clothing. They clean their clothing. They iron their clothing. They wash their clothing. Things don't get small or worn out. The children, the adults, everybody is immersed in a supernatural life. And Moshe chooses one from every tribe, ten scouts or spies, the Maraglim, are chosen, twelve spies, but ten return with a very negative report about the land. They say that although the land was fertile, its inhabitants were too strong The cities were too well fortified to be defeated by the Yidden, by the Israelites, by the Jewish people. And the whole story is full of difficulties. You know, these people 
within the last year and a bit, had personally experienced the most remarkable miracles. Exodus from Egypt, the ten plagues, amazing things. How could they, who were so connected to Hashem, immersed in Torah, had been present at Sinai, how could they come back with a disparaging report? We'll be right back after this short break. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. I'm Mashi Lipsker, and delighted to be with you on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Shlach. The portion of the week is Shlach. Send. Send out. Send out scouts to see, Hashem says to Moshe, to see which way would be the best way. Check its highways and its byways. Hashem speaks to Moshe saying, send out men. We'll speak more about that in a moment. And we are talking about the spies who went to the land and asking the question, how is it that so soon after seeing all of the miracles that Hashem did, that they could doubt that Hashem would give them victory? And when he came back, when they came back, how could the nation have believed them so easily? They spoke a few words, and most of the people fell apart. And then there were two voices of reason, Kalev and Yehoshua, Caleb and Joshua. They were the only faithful voices amongst the spies. And when they spoke up, and they wanted to reassure the people, and they wanted to say, don't worry, God is powerful, why did they not say, Remember all the miracles God just did for us. All the people present there had witnessed the most unbelievable miracles on an ongoing basis. The plagues in Egypt, the miraculous crossing of the Red Sea, exodus from Egypt, revelation at Sinai, daily food from heaven, water from a rock. Abundant miracles, the defeat of Amalek. And at Sinai, there were so many miracles that happened around them and to them. And that had taken place more than a year before. And since then, they were constantly surrounded with these daily revelations of God. So why did Kalev and Yehoshua not calm the people or attempt to calm the people by mentioning all of these incredible manifestations of the power of Hashem that had taken place to them and in living memory. There must be some different message here. Something else was bothering the spies. Something else was bothering the people. And we want to see what was it that could cause leaders, princes, to come back as they were on the eve of entering the promised land and discourage the people from entering. And indeed, Hashem responded by saying, you don't want to enter the land, so you won't. 
you will remain in the desert as you want to. What's that all about? We also have so many other questions. And let's see what message we can draw into our lives that will carry us, inspire us, and focus us. And so, the parsha begins, and Hashem speaks to Moshe, saying, Send out men for yourself. And that's a very puzzling extra word. Why not just send out men? And Hashem was saying, in response to Moshe's question, the people would like to send out people, send out men, send out scouts. He said, do it according to your own understanding. I'm not commanding you, but if you wish, you may. Nevertheless, they were sent by the word of God, meaning with the consent of God. God did not stop it. What was going on? You know, Keeping an observant Jewish life involves two parts. There are things that God commands us to do directly. We do need to follow the Shulchan Aruch, the code of Jewish law. There are rules that apply to everyone. Of course, sometimes in an emergency, according to the Shulchan Aruch, Things get changed, but it's all according to Jewish law. It's all covered. It's all specified. But then there's another area, and that's an area that the Jewish law is not going to set out or dictate. We have to use our own discretion. We have to see for the time what is the most appropriate action, and both approaches have great advantage. Obviously, when Hashem issues a command, He tells us to do something, Hashem chooses us as His partner. His partner? We are finite people. We are so, so small compared to Him. But the mitzvah, the command, sets up a bridge that connects us with Hashem in a way that would otherwise be absolutely impossible. But if Hashem would just command us with mitzvahs, we would not be an equal partner, as it were. We'd be an inferior partner. And we would always wait for the senior partner to tell us what to do. Therefore, part of our mission in this world is left to our own discretion. So we can become an active, equal partner with Hashem. We have to make certain decisions for ourselves. But at the same time, they must be pleasing to the senior partner. More about that after this. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. So our good nerve Shabbos, I'm Mashi Lipsker, and we're talking the Parsha of the Week. And we're talking about... A mystery, an enigma. Here are these holy people who have witnessed so many miracles and they bring back a disparaging report about the Holy Land. Moshe sent them 
just to discover the nature of the land and its inhabitants, to bring back fruits that would show how gloriously fruitful and fertile the land is, and to bring back not a report as to whether or not they'd be able to conquer the land, but a report as to what would be the best way. Because it's not just the command of God, but our participation using our own seichel, our own ingenuity, that makes for a partnership with Hashem, which is what God wants. He wants us to fully participate in every mitzvah, not only to do it like a robot, but to actually put all of our energy, ability, talents, excitement, and passion into it, to use the abilities that he has invested in us, that he has given to every individual. We have unlimited resources, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual. We are a creation of God. And he has invested so much in us because we are the ones that he has chosen for this incredibly important mission. It's important to him. He wants a dwelling place in this world. And that can only be accomplished by people who have choice. But choice that is molded by and directed by God's will. It's a partnership. And of course, we need to understand how could 10 of the 12 return with a counsel of despair and break the spirit of the Jewish people, suggesting that they would not be able to conquer the land? And I quote, because the people that dwell in the land are fierce and the cities are fortified and very great. They argued, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Ah, and what happened there has actually affected us to this day, because the day they came back was Erev Tisha B'Av. And when the people heard this that night, which was the ninth of Av, the people mourned, the people grieved, the people cried for nothing. And that became, became throughout the generations, a day to cry for something, God forbid, for it is a day of great tragedy. The destruction of both holy temples took place on that day. And many, many other great disasters and tragedies we're still trying to fix up what happened then. But what is the meaning of this mysterious episode? We're still trying to fix up what they did. But why did the spies argue this way? And the people, the two of the 12 who didn't go along with them, who tried to calm everyone, they never mentioned any of the miracles. When Kalev, Caleb, silenced the people and said, no, with Moshe, we can do it. We shall go up. 
indeed go up and inherit the land, for we are able to overcome it. Why did he not mention all of the miracles that they had experienced? Were the Canaanites maybe stronger than the Egyptians? So, if they would mention we defeated Egypt, we'll also defeat the Canaanites? Could that be the reason? No. In fact, in the song that the people sang after the crossing of the sea, the Israelites sang, All the inhabitants of Canaan, of Canaan, are melted away. Terror and dread fell upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are silent as stone. We say it in the Oz Yashir. In fact, 40 full years later, when Joshua, Yehoshua, began the conquest of the land, people were still terrified because we remember that Joshua sent in two spies into Jericho, Yerichai, and there they heard, Ooh, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And as soon as we had heard, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. So 40 years later, the Canaanites were still terrified. So it couldn't be that the Jewish people felt that the Canaanites were stronger, more formidable than Egypt. Egypt was the dominant power at that time. Egypt was fierce. What was the reason for all of this? So, of course, we need Hasidic teaching. And to understand that the spies were not motivated by a physical defeat. They were afraid of something different. They were afraid of a spiritual defeat. What does that mean? That means that in the wilderness, all of the needs of all of the people were met as a direct gift from God. They didn't have to work for food. As mentioned, their bread was the daily manna that fell from heavens. Their water came from the well of Miriam, which traveled with them. Their clothing didn't need any repair, and so on. It was maintained by the clouds of glory. Ah, they didn't want to give up that life. Crossing the Jordan would mean possession, taking possession of the land meant a different kind of responsibility. There would be no more manna. They would have to sweat to draw bread out from the ground. They'd have to toil. All of these miracles that had accompanied them would have to be replaced by rolling up their sleeves and living daily life. They'd have to labor hard in the physical world. And when you start doing that, you go out to earn a living, and you have to do it by the toil of your hands, there's a new danger. And this is what they were afraid of. The spies were great men. They were princes, each one of their tribes handpicked by Moshe for their mission. They had a spiritual anxiety. They were afraid that they would become less spiritual 
when they would invest themselves, their heads, their hearts, into earning a living. As mentioned, there are two parts to the partnership with Hashem, the mitzvah and then how you do it. They knew that living a physical life in a physical world would gradually give them less and less time and energy to serve God. And that's what they meant when they said this is a land that consumes, that eats up its inhabitants. They meant if we have to turn the land through working it, through mitzvahs, through using the produce in the way God wants, being involved with the physical, the land and its labor, and the preoccupation with a materialistic way of life, that world would eat them up. It would swallow them up. It would consume their energies, their focus. And they were of the opinion that where can you have the best life? For we are indeed bidden to be spiritual in everything we do in the desert. They said, in seclusion, in withdrawal, in the peace, the protection of the wilderness, where we even get our food from heaven, we can continue to serve God. But they were wrong, because God's intention is that we live a life of Torah, but not for the elevation of the soul. It's to sanctify, elevate, and refine the world, daily life, interactions. Every single mitzvah aims to make a dwelling place for God in the world. Each one brings to light beautiful spiritual things that God has already placed in the world. We need to live in the world. Reveal God in everything we use and see and interact with. A mitzvah wants to find God in the natural, not in the miraculous, the supernatural. The miracles which kept the Jewish people alive in the wilderness, that was not the goal. That was not the highest point. That was just a preparation. That was preparation for taking possession of the land and making it a holy land. And now we see why the spies argued the way they did. All the miracles they had seen did not prevent them from saying, the Canaanites are stronger than us. They were saying, we want to dedicate our whole existence to God. But if the land has to be worked... And everything we have to achieve has to be worked for. And we're going to be in it because that's what God wants. We might be defeated spiritually. Our spiritual level might go down. And that is daunting. That is scary. The miracles were not in their eyes a reason for being confident about the entry into the land. <laughs> They were reasons for wanting to stay in the wilderness. They wanted to remain in this environment 
they wanted to remain there, and they said, as soon as we cross over, everything changes. And what we need to understand, we need to understand that it is a partnership with Hashem. In the desert, they were being fed. They were like children. They were being cared for. In our lives, very often, when we're in a secluded environment, we're still in the yeshiva, we're still at school, it's a different life. That's an ecstatic spiritual life, but it's only a preparation. When we are in the shul, and we are davening, and it's Yom Kippur, and we all feel uplifted, it's awesome, but it's a preparation for taking that holiness, that study, that inspiration, and meshing it, partnering it with daily life. All of this is God's will. The inner will of God is to have a dwelling place in this world. Only in sanctifying this world, living normally, marrying, going to work, raising children, all of the toil of life, all of the discomfort, as it were, contains within it great, great light and God's inner will. Now, the people wanted to stay in the desert. They did everything in their power to stay in the desert. And that's why Kalev, Caleb, didn't cite all of the miracles. He understood exactly. This generation was called the Doyerdea, the loftiest, loftiest generation, a generation of intellect and holiness. And therefore, Yoshua and Kalev didn't comfort the people by talking about all the miracles. They said, if the desire of the Lord is in us, then, he says, he will bring us into the land. Then its people are our bread. Their defense is removed from over them. And the Lord is with us, fear not. In other words, it will be easy if we understand that this is God's will. When we have God's inner will as our will, then all doors are open. Then, instead of a land that eats up its inhabitants, it says, They will be our bread. And Hasidic teaching says a beautiful thing. It says bread doesn't protest when you eat it. It knows it's been created for this. Similarly, those people would melt away. We will eat them like bread. Instead of our being reduced to their level, where they are warriors and we have to be bigger warriors, where they are fortified and we have to come with greater war tactics, they will be reduced. Instead of we being reduced to their level, the land will be raised, the people will be raised to our level. They will see godliness when we approach them and they will melt away. In fact... 
Another reason that the spies were wrong is because the miracle concealed in nature is more miraculous than the clear supernatural. And all the events that God did for the people till this point, he broke the laws of nature. But then there are miracles that are clothed in nature that shows that God is not limited at all, not even by the seeming confines of the laws he has made, nor by the confines of supernatural law. He can combine the two. When we do a mitzvah, it's an act which discovers God within the everyday. It shows that God is truly everywhere. He's not limited. He's even within the limitations, dimensions of the world. That's the real miracle. The infinite can be in the finite. The natural and the supernatural unite and become one. We'll be right back after this short break. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. Amashi Lipsker, it's Erev Parsha Shlach, and we're talking about the message. The message of combination being sent into the land of Canaan to turn it into the land of Israel. And the spies who didn't want to go, they didn't want to leave the wilderness, they didn't want to leave the secure life where they could devote themselves to spiritual matters, connection with God, spiritual ecstasy, study of Torah and prayer without any responsibilities. Food fell daily from heaven, water from the well of Miriam. Their clothing grew with them and were repaired and cleaned by the clouds of glory. They were protected. They were secure. And of course, what is that story in our lives? Every one of us experiences these two realms, the realm of the wilderness, the cocoon, and the realm of the land of Israel. We all know the tensions between the two of them. They are two times in our life, and they are two parts of every day. You know, we begin our day with prayer, with seclusion, study of Torah. And then we have to go out into the world, which is the land of Israel, the world of business, of labor, of earning a living, of taking care of the kids, of being there for others. So there's the world of seclusion. There's the world of others. And when we have to leave our daily seclusion time, my time, me time, we can actually feel some of those doubts stirring within us, the same doubts that the spies had. You know, while we're studying and praying or taking care of ourselves, we are totally devoted to what Yiddishkeit requires of us. Even when I sit down to eat in the morning and I'm doing it in order to fulfill the mitzvah of looking after this body that God has given me. I'm still doing it for me. But when I go out of the me time, there's very little significance sometimes that we see in the work that we do. 
very little religious significance. And worse than that, we might feel this is the land that consumes its inhabitants. My work is so all-consuming, and it invades my mind, even when I'm trying to pray or study. The world of everyday worries constantly intrudes and breaks my concentration in wanting to attach myself to Hashem, in wanting to be more spiritual, in wanting to take care of the body that God has given me, in wanting to connect with God. But then we're making the mistake of the spies because what we're doing is we're placing God outside of the world and we may be failing to respond to Hashem's presence in every human interaction. We become preoccupied, as it were, with ourselves and we forget that we are told in all your ways, know him. In all our ways, when we struggle with anything, we must bring Hashem into it. When we do anything, we must see the presence of God. It's not by mistake. Even when we have extraneous thoughts when we're trying to pray, we must appeal to Hashem to help us and focus on the fact that we are being given a challenge, which will help us to reconnect or to connect with God in a more conscious way or a greater way. It can't just be daily the manna falls, daily the water's there, daily everything is taken care of for us. No. We need to struggle to reveal God in everything, and we have to remember the words of Kolev and Yehoshua. If the desire of the Lord is with us, if we take our Yiddishkeit, our Judaism, into every aspect of our involvement in the world, then they are our bread, Lachmenu Haim. The world melts away. It becomes our bread. It becomes assimilated into holiness, just as bread becomes part of the person. The world becomes part of godliness. It's revealed, and it becomes part of what we want to see and do. It becomes godliness. So that's one wilderness, but there's another one. The spies wanted to rest secure in Hashem's miraculous protection. And that was a wish for intense religious experience. But ultimately, that is self-centered because their reluctance or ours to re accept responsibility of changing the world means, I'm so happy now. I'm so satisfied. Why must I now move beyond this wonderful religious high, this wonderful cocooned life, and reach out and help others. And that's what the spies, whatever the spies were saying then, we say it as well. You know, sometimes we don't want to help others. 
others around us that God brings into our space. He brings them to us so we can help them, certainly with their spiritual development. And sometimes we're afraid to expose ourselves or our families to that because we think, how will it affect me? How's it going to compromise me? Or we might become very condescending. But not to get involved in helping someone else for those re reasons are just rationalizations. Spirituality is not a private possession that you don't share with the world. Instead, our work in this world is to reach out beyond ourselves to our fellow Jew, to the world of our work. We've got to extend holiness into everything we touch, to everyone we meet, without the fear that I am placing my own faith at risk. We cannot make the mistake of thinking that this or anything else lies outside of the domain of Hashem. Hashem has put us into certain situations, and the bottom line is to make a world that is godly. And that world doesn't just mean in the four walls of my home, with my family, with my community. It often needs to be seen as to the person who's just on the periphery or the person on the periphery whom I know very, very superficially about the people that they know, that they can reach. Yes, it was very special in the desert, but now we have to do the shlach l'chol Hashem said to Moshe, send them. Use your own mind, use your own personal abilities, exhaust yourself. Exhaust the abilities that God has given you, for it is for the purpose of conquering the world. For toiva ha'aretz ma'oid ma'oid. The land is very, very good, far greater than spiritual experiences, all of these lofty, wonderful personal experiences to take it and spread it and share it so that we don't mistakenly think that we want to stay at Mount Sinai and stay in the yeshiva and just make sure that we keep Torah and mitzvahs on the highest possible standard and not to worry that we're putting ourselves into danger. Not to say the nation of the land, they are very strong, they consume their inhabitants, but rather to know that to capture the land of Canaan and turn it into Eretz Yisrael is toiva ha'aretz ma'oid ma'oid. And it can only be achieved through our work in the land. And that's when the ultimate good is revealed. And we may not be comfortable with it. We may not feel confident to reach out to someone else and share a mitzvah. But all of that was addressed in his talks by the Rebbe. The Rebbe sent out his emissaries throughout the world. The Rebbe, God's gift to our generation, cared about 
Jews and people, no matter where in God's world they would be found, sent his emissaries. And that's where God's presence was revealed. Reminds us of the story of emissaries who came from Israel to Nepal. And they were Rabbi and Chani Lifshitz. And the story of how one day they were traveling in a taxi. And the Bangkok traffic was so backed up. And they they calculated that it would probably be shorter to walk. So Rabbi Lifshitz paid the taxi driver and, driver and got out. And he'd taken a few steps when a person approached him. Clearly, you could see this was a foreigner by the way he was dressed. And the man introduced himself. He said, I'm David. And I wonder, um, my wife's about to have a child. We know it's a boy. And where could I get a moil? And Rabbi Lifshitz's face lit up. He said, I'm actually a trained a trained moil. I can do the circumcision. Um, and I'll be happy to be of service. So the man's face lit up and he said, oh, I can't believe it. It's so wonderful. And they got close. And later he shared with him, he said, you know, I'm very busy here. We live here on business. We are Americans. And just the other day, my wife said to me, have you organized the mile? Have you organized the rabbi who will do the circumcision or the the trained um, mile? And then she said to me, what do you think? You're going to bump into a mile just like that on the streets of Bangkok? Just like that. And it is amazing that when we go somewhere with the intention of doing God's work, what ends up happening is God brings the people to us. He brings situations to us. When we are ready to be a partner, he shows himself over and over again as a senior partner with blessings, with incredible, incredible encouragement. May we merit to be a true partner to Hashem. Good Shabbos.